Hello, everybody. I am Chase Jarvis. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. In case this is your first episode, which it better not be, but if you are, or if it is, rather, welcome to the show. This your show. This is where I sit down with the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, and I eke out of their very, very dense brains the most actionable, valuable insights that I can with the goal of helping you live your dreams and career in hobby and in life. My guest today is L Luna. You're going to love this episode. I the first time I met L was at a cocktail party by the renowned nerd, this is going to sound like a story. It's a story but it's a real story. So at a, by the renowned neuropsychologist Adam Gazali. He has this thing called the First Friday at his house in San Francisco. And you know when you just bump into somebody and you're like, "Oh, hey, I'm Chase." And she says, "I'm L." And we start talking and it was a fascinating conversation. And at the end of the conversation, I was like, who, what, what, what just happened? Who was that? So, you know, we happened to drift apart at the party. I didn't grab her name. I mean, I, I got her name, but I didn't, I didn't like, I need to know you personally. Like, let's have coffee. And then I see this talk on Creative Mornings, which um, I think you're familiar with Creative Mornings. If you're not, you should. And uh, this woman just crushes this talk. And this talk is called The Intersection of Should and Must. Actually, no, sorry. The Crossroads of Should and Must. And if you've ever asked yourself, as I almost all of us have, how can I pursue my calling and my passion, then a, you're going to love this show. B, you have to get her book and you should probably also watch all the talks because she slayed this talk in a way that and she, she builds herself as a designer. She's not a presenter. She's not a she crushed this and she also crushes this episode. Um, I love the title of the crossroads of should and must because it so perfectly captures that tension that we all experience between the expectations, the external expectations of parents and friends and, you know, the cultural expectations that we all have to be, quote, successful, what she calls those are the shoulds and the conflict between those things and the things that we know to be true for ourselves. These forces don't always have to be at odds, but so many of us, you know, this was a, a problem for me, for sure, early in my career. This message that Elle puts out there is it hit home with me because, again, this was one of the core defining moments where I realized that I needed to drop out of a career toward professional soccer and the Olympic development stuff that I was doing. I needed to bail on medical school and later dropped out of a PhD in philosophy to become a photographer. You ask 99 people on the street if that's a good idea, and 90, 98 and three quarters of them are going to say, yeah, that's a real dumb thing. But you know what? That's really where my my adult, my my not just career, it's like my person became whole. It sure didn't feel like a, a sure thing at that time, but I knew it was right. And, you know, here I am being able to look back on those moments as, as pivotal. And Elle does an amazing job at helping you reconcile that in yourself with A, this show and B, her book. We also talk about three categories of jobs. There's job or three categories of things to do with your professional. There's like jobs, careers, and then she has a great term for this, callings. So, so many of us are, are, again, this is along the line of what I just explicated. We're pursuing those other things. You're probably stuck in one of the first two. That's what I'm guessing. And if you're looking to get to the third, this episode will help. Um, accountability. I talked about that in a recent episode with Gretchen Rubin, and we go back to it in this episode with a completely different guest. 
common theme here on the show. And for Elle, the key is attaching a human to it. She says, if if there's someone that I love counting on me to do this thing. So it's again, she talks a, a, a fair bit about building community around the things that you do and love which is a powerful concept. And then another theme that comes up in this episode that I'm just finding is making its way through the show, structure. You've heard me talk about, I used to not want the man to hold me down and I didn't want to have a schedule. And as soon as I put a little bit of a schedule in place, my productivity went through the roof. L helps us do this in a way that doesn't hinder creativity that actually promotes it. And she talks specifically about her structure, some hacks that she does, like a kitchen timer. You're going to love the way that she um, makes this really simple concept very, very effective for producing your best results. So that's just a couple of hints. And without further ado, let's get into the show. But before we do, just a quick short word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest hub for online creative education. Education in photo, video, art design, music and audio, and the ability to make a living and a life in those disciplines. It's the highest quality, highly curated classes taught by the world's top experts. We're talking Pulitzer Prize winners, Oscar winners, Grammy Award winners, New York Times bestselling authors, and the best entrepreneurs of our time. Names like Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Ariana Huffington are on the platform. And you get classes taught from guys like Tim Ferriss, Lewis Howes, uh, Ramit Sethi. Again, I could list uh, a thousand other names of the top photographers, designers, musicians, the best in class. You get it. Now, right now, if you're familiar with me and my work, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Isn't that a company that you started, Chase? Well, yes, it is. In fact, Creative Live makes this entire podcast possible. And in fact, all of my longstanding Chase Jarvis Live shows. Creative Live has millions of students around the world. More than 2 billion minutes of education have been consumed on that video platform. So, you know, that's a little bit of the sort of the what and the how behind Creative Live. But here's the why, which I think is so critical. Creative Live exists to help you live your dreams in career, hobby, and life. In short, I started Creative Live with a bunch of really committed friends because we saw a a big need in the world. We wanted to help our peers and friends and, and folks out there in the world transition to new careers, live new dreams, take the leap, if you will, into an entirely different sort of direction where you can leave that job, maybe your job with the man, and strike out on your own. I also saw my peers in the photo and design world needing to sort of up their skills and get ahead. And I saw friends who were happily working at great companies but wanted to pursue their hobby to a next level that you know might someday parlay into a side hustle. So we built that platform. Uh, these classes at Creative Live are the most highly and authentically produced of any of the online video platforms you'll experience. The top experts, it's all shot with 48 cameras, all in HD, beautifully presented and accessible on desktop, tablet, mobile. You know I stand for quality and that's what Creative Live uh, puts out. To that end, I have also taken it upon myself to curate a handful of my very favorite classes and mix them in with some of the top performing classes on Creative Live. And I'll bake that into a landing page called creativelive.com slash hustle just for you. This community listens to our podcast here. So you should go there and you should check that out as a special thank you for being a podcast listener. If you find a class that you love, either from the ones that I've curated or elsewhere on the site, and you want to buy it, during checkout, enter the code CHASER. That's my name plus an R, just C-H-A-S-E-R. And do that during checkout and you'll get 25% off your order. Uh, I think that's awesome and I hope you do too. So thanks very much for checking it out. Let me know what you think. Now that's it for the sponsors. Uh, Now let's get into the show. 
This is many months in the making. I'm very excited to have you on the show. I'm thrilled to be here. We were talking before the cameras roll. We do that occasionally, I have to confess, um, about living in the woods. I was like, how have you been? The last time we talked, you were at the height of your book launch. You just spoke at the, or we, were, we sat next to you there at a VIP dinner in New York, and I was just, uh, I was full of questions, so I, I had to defer most of those questions till a year later. But, and then you said, after the, all that hype, you moved out into the woods. Tell me, that's amazing. I want to know about it. You were like literally, you know, traveling around the world, speaking, sharing your book, which did so well. Congratulations, Thank huge, you. very Thank inspirational you. to so many that I know. Mm -hmm. um, give me, like, give me the the what's the scoop there? That was a fascinating move. Yeah, we met at, at just the height mm -hmm. of. It's like the roller coaster was just like cluck 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 up to the top, <laughs> and then just went after that. Um, I yeah went on tour, shared the book, just got to meet so many people who want to talk about their creativity and um, how to make it work with money and with time and with kids and a mortgage and it's amazing. Um, so true. Everyone's just trying to figure it out and um, after, that's really intense. It's super intense. To talk to people about um, how to connect to their passion and find that river that flows through their life and get on it and not let go. Um, after it is, that, it's amazing how resonant that is. Like I remember sitting next to you at the dinner, we were talking, and so many people kept coming up. Like your book meant so much to me; it really helped me understand the journey that I was on myself. And it was just over and over and over, we really couldn't have a conversation. So it's super resonant. But well, so I, at the, you're at the height of all that. At the height, and I think we, I think it was like fate that we would sit next to each other. For sure, kindred spirits. Yes. And, um, and we dress the same, but you wore yes. much better for sure. Maybe I don't you didn't know. trade shoes or something. Yeah, but, I like yeah. your shoes. Um, so after New York, after all of that, after all the talking and the listening and just um, holding that space for, for months, I guess the tour was about six months. Afterwards, I think it was June 1st, I like put up an out of office email. You know, I kept talking about like how important solitude is for your practice. And here I am like trying to like get work done on like airplane tray tables and hotel tops, uh, desktops. And um, so when I got back, I just put up an out of office email and I went into the woods for like two months. I, it was a bit like, have <laughs> you seen the, the movie um, Castaway? Yes. With Tom Hanks? <laughs> with the volleyball? With the volleyball. Yeah, yeah, I felt a little like Castaway um, in the woods. So it was just a lot of solitude. Um, Good for the soul? Yeah, just, I mean, when was the last time? I couldn't remember when the last time was that I really experienced the fullness of a day. Just Wait, one yeah. day. Like, like the temperature in the morning and the way the morning smells. And, you know, there are flowers that, that like close at night and then open in the morning. And, you know, different animals come out at different times of the day. And, and there's so many things in just one day. And I just felt like I was so busy, busy, busy. And this is a larger theme. Um, just, I think we're at a really unique moment in time, yeah. culturally, where we're just addicted to being busy. What? I've Why? Got a, yeah, I've got a saying that busy isn't busy, busy's a lack of priority. And clearly, you're, you, um, after some time, felt like you had to prioritize simplicity, getting back to nature. Was that, was that the creative side of you with the human side? Is there any difference between those two sides? Or are there many sides of the same coin? Yeah, I think the creative side is probably um, the most potent part of the, the human mm -hmm. piece. There's probably a lot of personas and people and voices going on in here, but the creative one is the one I would like driving the wheel of, of my life. 
So you're out in the woods. I'm picturing you like there's this line. What is it? Kane from Kung Fu who just goes and walks the earth. Um, the, <laughs> were you just like literally walking the earth? I mean, did you like backpack, like stick, like on the trail, or like what? Give me a, give me. So I like the idea of I can picture you waking up. You said you you were in, you have a pop top van. Yeah. I can picture you, um, but what? Tell me more about your day to day. Did you spend time writing, drawing? Uh, creating painting or was it just observing and okay so I've seen so many of your photographs you are like you're amazing at capturing adventure Thank you. this is the this is like the opposite of, I wish I had like <laughs> some great story to tell you that I was like you know I don't know hiking some great mountain I just really stayed put that's amazing I didn't go anywhere you'd think with a top pop top van I'd be like cruising down to Mexico or I don't know I literally just parked and was like, I'm not moving. And what did that do for you? Um, I think, I, I hear that meditators talk about, like the reason they meditate is to find like that still place within you where everything else falls away. And I'm not, a, I'm not an avid meditator, but I think the practice is the same. So a typical day for me would be uh, waking up with the sun. I would like waking up at sunrise. Um, it would be um, morning pages. Do you do morning pages or practice I, like that? I have a meditation practice okay. and a gratitude practice that sort of usurps my morning pages, but I have experimented with morning pages. It's also quite powerful. So just three pages of longhand, um, and then after that, I would set a timer and I would write. And then I would try to, I would do like a moving meditation is what I call it. Mm -hmm. So just uh, either a hike or a run or yoga, um, something getting the body moving, um, really simple meals. Um, painting every, every day, every all day, day every day, <laughs> for all two day. months. That's amazing. I love it. And a lot of sleeping. I was just really tired. I don't know. It's just um, I heard Julia Cameron once said that the more we treat ourselves like a precious object, the stronger we become. And that seems a little backwards, right? Um, but I found that I just—it was sort of like there was a bifurcation between everything above the neck and everything below. Everything up here was like. We will go, we will go, we will do this, and we will be there, and we can do that talk and do that thing. And everything below the neck was saying, slow down. Slow down. I need, that's interesting because I, I, one of the, um, I did one of these shows with Ariana Huffington, who's just dropped a new book yes. on sleep. And sleep was a newfound thing for me. I was one of those people who thought I was somehow different or really didn't identify with sleep. Sleep was like that time you you did between doing awesome stuff called life. <laughs> and it was a time like you'd pull my car into the garage and turn it off. Mm. And what I didn't realize is that actually sleep is when all kinds of great stuff happens. You know, like when your body repairs itself and when you're, those juices that propel your creativity are sort of getting back into the right places in the body. And yes. uh, so sleep was, it was incredibly new to me and Ariana just was, she dropped the knowledge bomb on me. It's like people take better care of, when you talked about an object of preciousness, she talked about people taking better care of their phones, which is not an object of preciousness. It's a, it's a like arguably disposable piece of technology. And she's like, just think of how you treat your phone. You bring it out, you plug it, you, you recharge it all the time. You're careful, you don't want it to die. So you bring the ability to resuscitate it anywhere with you. You shine it, you know, it's like, and yet, how, you know, by contrast, how do we take care of ourselves? We, drive ourselves crazy until we can't go anymore and then we either yeah. get sick or get disease or 
you know, basically break down. What a sad world that is. So it's interesting to hear that, you're, that taking care of your physical body, I think we, how you talked about the neck down, was a priority. And it took a while. Yeah. The, um, one of the unexpected side effects is that my dreams have become really strong. Mm. Do you dream? I do, yeah. When I'm in my best mode of taking care of myself, exp I remember all of my dreams, not all of my dreams, I remember dreams daily when I'm taking care of my, I have, you named many things that are on my morning sort of routine, like moving your body, quiet time, eat a meditation, morning pages, mm. eat a good simple meal. Um, and when I'm in that mode of really taking care of those things that are sort of on my list for wellness, my dreams are vivid, they're potent. I have a, the ability to connect real, like my life with their meaning in a, in a way that I don't if I'm not in that state. Um, how about you contrast book release, book launch craziness with van life? For, for your dreaming and your, your sleeping world? Well, one day I called my mother really, really sad, and I said, Mom, I haven't dreamed in 10 days. And she said, oh, no, this is really bad. We've got to do something about this. And it just made me wonder. Um, it made me wonder why I was, I was so busy and mm -hmm. so out of touch that I was actually keeping myself from dreaming. So similarly, my dreams are, are really vivid and potent. Um, I dream in color, and there's even smells. There's, um, there's whole worlds. Wow, smells, that's, a, that's next level. And, um, and they similarly are, I, I feel like they are sort of modern day myths, right? Like um, myths, I think our myths are changing. We're at a, not a time right now where our myths are seriously changing. Um, Religious myths are at a point of, of upheaval globally. We're at a place where technology and the myths that that's going to be creating is, is really up for, uh, for who knows. We're at a really unique moment. So for me, the, the, the dream is almost like the myth. The, and, and within the dreams, like if you can relate, so what I'm working on is how do I relate like what's happening in my dream world with what's happening in my real world. So one trick I've been working on is um, every single aspect within the dream is actually like a fractalized version of you, the dreamer. Okay. So every person, every other person is actually just a mirror image of some component of me. I think that about daily life in general, not just even my dreams. Mm -hmm. Well, there you but go. I, yeah, no, there keep going. You go. I don't hide you. Keep going, keep going. So you can just, when you wake up, so I, I have a, a voice recorder that mm -hmm. I keep next to the bed. Because it, I couldn't, I couldn't quite go to like writing them down. Yeah. So I, while I'm still kind of half asleep, I just grab the voice recorder and I hit record. I say the day, you know, the date, and then I just babble. And sometimes I fall asleep while I'm talking into the recorder, but um, I record my dreams audibly. And then, you know, when I wake up, sometimes I'll forget all about it. And then, you know, it'll be lunchtime, and I'll be like, Oh, I had a dream and I recorded it, but I don't even remember what it was. Ooh. And I'll go back and I'll listen to it, and then I'll transcribe it and then go through and um, unpack, kind of move the camera around into the different, you can move it into people, so you can kind of shift the, p the point of view from uh -huh. the dream into someone else's eyes. You can also become the inanimate objects, so like um, the floors, the surface areas, or the light, or like the environment that you're in, like if you're in a jungle, what does that mean? And I prescribe to the belief that you're the, the 
just because um, maybe there's a global metaphor for a dream doesn't necessarily mean that that's the meaning that we prescribe to it. Fair. So, um, and then you kind of have this like, this sort of um, choiceless, it's like, isn't it wild that there's this thing inside of us that's serving up choiceless, totally unmediated images without any logic or any conscious, you know, mediation? Yeah. It's just dropping them and saying like, will you deal with me? Will you deal with me? Will you make sense of me? Here you go. Isn't that wild? It is. It's like a, um, gosh, it's a conveyor belt of stuff you should look at. <laughs> it's like, look at this. Look at this. It's interesting. I hadn't ever thought about the unmediated aspect of it, but isn't it certainly mediated by, like, without getting too woo-woo-y here, but okay. I think I'm, I, I don't really agree with the mind-body dualism. I think that so much of who we know and what we feel up here is actually our body speaking, mm. and it's not some sort of separate thing. And so the idea of something unmediated is, is uh, seems a bit foreign to me. Like mm. everything is mediated, but it's mediated. It, it could show you X or it could show you Y. And so the reason that you're seeing Y has a reason. Like you've said, deal with me. Yeah. I don't know, riff on that for a little bit. Well, I think it's interesting. You said um, you said the, the mind-body connection, and then you said so much, but I thought you said so ma, and so ma is Sanskrit for body. Aha. So I thought I was like, he's talking about the soma. Yes, the soma. Of course. So um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, you said something earlier that made me, it was a very logical jump that I wanted to make, but it, it, you said... Um, I think you said the word intersection or basically it's crossroads. And I would like to, for the benefit of the folks who are on the other side of these cameras, um, the book was so powerful. Your talk, uh, you, you, you like leapt on the scene as like the most professional speaker of all times. I don't know if you practice mm. your ass off or whatever, but you like the very first time I saw you deliver that talk, I don't even remember what it was or where it was, but I was like, incredible speaker Mm. what was the book in here for a long time first and you like created the narrative or did it all come out at the same time and maybe you can start off well answer that question first so was the book inside of you for a long time before you let it out or did you start to let it out and you realize that it was all there did you mean to just like perfectly tie this together (laughs) I am a professional interviewer so the book, the book in some ways um, was delivered on the conveyor belt because the book started off as a dream. About your studio, right? Yeah, so um, I had this recurring dream about a space. And, um, you know, I would dismiss my dreams, you know, just wake up in the morning, alarm goes off, like, boom, I'm like already panicked, already behind. Already grabbing for your phone. Already got me for the phone. So dreams didn't really stand a chance with me for quite a while. And then one day I thought, I wonder if there might be greater intelligence to these images that continued to surface. And so um, I shared that I was having this dream over and over again with a friend. And she basically asked the question that, that sent me on my way in the way that really good questions do. And she said, have you ever thought about looking for this dream in real life? 
She's a very wise friend. <laughs> is, this, is this a sage friend of yours that uses totally. words like Soma? Totally. <laughs> so in the dream, it's basically, um, actually it has a bit of a feel of this space, just like a really big cavernous open space. And in the dream, I would walk in and it was all white. It was just the purest white. And it seemed to just almost glow. It was like, um, like an ethereal white light. And I would go and I would sit on the floor and I would be filled with the most unbelievable sense of peace. Ooh. And I would sit there for the duration of the dream until I woke up. And that was it. That was it. So how does one go looking for this space? If you take the advice of your friend. <laughs> well, I felt really ridiculous thinking, you know, I've had this dream, now let me, you know, go to try to find it. At first I thought the whole thing was silly and just dismissed it. Uh, but eventually I just started looking on Craigslist because I knew exactly what the room looked like. I, you know, I knew it intimately. And um, at some moment, I don't know if you ever had this experience, but have you ever like, have you ever had a, um, a memory that actually you haven't experienced yet? It's like a memory that you're gonna have in the future. Like it's, it's something that you know is gonna happen, but it, so it ha but hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I think about those visual, like those are visions of a future for sure. Like I, I think about them. I don't think of what you described it in a really interesting way. But yes, I visualize the future sometimes intentionally, and like visualization and gratitude is a practice that I have, and I have done that on occasion. Believed that oh, that was I was daydreaming, but I know that's going to happen in the future. I can just like just put a checkbox by that, like, yep, that's soon to be. Okay, how do you know? Where does that come from? It's, it's very fleeting for me, but it's, a, it's like a cellular level awareness that's just like, oh, yeah, just, that'll take care of itself. And then I'm sort of on to the next thing. But n knowing is, I don't know, it's, it's very intuitive. I'm a huge intuition guy, so, but, but keep going. You're, you're, you're searching for your white room, and you'd seen this in your future, and you knew it was going to happen. Yes. It, which is so strange because I knew and yet at the same time I think how does that work <laughs> and yet I've experienced it yeah it's crazy um so I knew I was going to find this white room and so I just kept looking on Craigslist I just kept looking and looking and looking I didn't tell anybody um but I was just looking I mean, for were you literally searching white room or like what are you <laughs> I was searching um just apartments for rent in San Francisco and it was everything from like warehouse to garage to industrial space to house it was everything and then one day I'm scrolling through Craigslist and doo -doo 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 -doo, it just goes right on by. And I was like, that, that's it. That's the room. It was literally, the warehouse windows were in the same places. It was a concrete floor, tall white walls, you know, two-story tall ceiling. And of course, there was an open house the very next day. Why not? So I went to the open house and there were all these other people there and I just was so calm. I was like, it's, it's already mine. And I just walked up and I gave the woman my application and, um, and I left and I got the apartment. Two weeks later, I moved in and on my very first night there, I like replayed this dream, right? Because the only thing cooler than having the dream would be then- To live it. Living the dream, yes. Wow. So I walk into the room and I sit down on the floor in like my appointed place, you know, I don't know, I might have done something, you know, cool yeah. with my hands and <laughs> I'm sitting there like waiting for just this pervasive sense of peace to wash over me. And instead of peace, I got panic, total panic. 
you know, I'm thinking, what did I just do? And why am I here? And I didn't even like really look at the closets that well. And I didn't look at the bathroom. And I, I began to panic, like, what have I done? And so I, um, you know, just all of my like kind of lizard brain things all yeah. start coming on. I'm, you know, now I'm up and pacing around the room. And so um, I just decided that I would ask the room. Like if the room had, you know, come to me in my dream, well then maybe the room had some sort of an answer for me. And so I said out loud, why am I here? And as clear as day, the room said back to me, it's time to paint. Wow. Wow. I went to sleep the next morning. I got up. I had painted all the time as a little kid. I painted all through high school, all through college. But I don't know, just somewhere along the way, I stopped painting. I just started doing other things. I got busy. And um, so I went to the art supply store and I, you know, rounded up the gang, got everything into the <laughs> cart. I got home and I just started making with an energy that was just enormous. It was just enormous. And I think that same energy must have carried me all the way to the dinner where we met. Wow. So the, the story as you told it just now is very similar to how you've given it in many talks that I've watched online and heard from you personally. And the bring in for us, if you will, the should and must components. Mm. Because listening to like the takeaway is like, oh, you're listening to your inner sort of inner voice. I call it intuition. And that's, I think, the strongest thing that we have as people. And we get punished when we go against it. And we thrive when we lean into it. Sometimes it's things that we can't explain. But talk to me about the should and must. Because to me, that is the part that unlocked for the creatives. There are people who identify as creative. And many times, people who are seeking to identify as creative, but they're, they're, they're stuck based on convention or societal pressure or whatever. Yeah. The people that I've talked to about your book, I've recommended it hundreds of times. And it all they always come back to me and say, wow, that was hmm. powerful medicine. Bring in the should and must components to You got force. it. So um, the basic principle is that there's a crossroads every time we make a decision. Every time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a little, sometimes it's big. But every time we make a decision, we get to choose between should and must. So should is... Um, all of the expectations and obligations that others put on us. So that could be um, at a parental level, that could be at a community level, it could be, and this is at its most insidious, when it's at a cultural level, when it's, you know, maybe the whole planet, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when we choose should and you just put your finger on it, uh, it just feels awful, right? Like it just, it comes back to, to haunt us. And I feel almost like um, the kinesthetic experience of should is just like, oh, you know, you can just yeah. feel everything. It's like this heaviness and you can feel everything like tighten and constrict. Um, and yet we choose it. Yet we choose it. And when we choose to live large portions of our life in should, we're essentially choosing to live our life for someone or something other than ourselves. And the other option is must. Now, must is who we are. It's like, like who we are here. It's mm -hmm. like what we believe. It is what we know to be true when everything else falls away. It is like that, that river of knowing that we just we get on it. And when we are aligned with it, it carries us. And um, it's our convictions. It's our knowings. It's our longings, which you know come from nowhere. Our, our dreams are somewhere. Yep. And 
When we choose must, we are honoring who we are and why we're here. So, as someone who literally wrote the book, are you always able to choose must? Or do you still feel trapped sometimes by convention, cultural, familial, personal, societal? Like, tell us about your struggles. Well, th this is a great question, and this is something I haven't talked about a whole lot. Um, and I think it's really important. When I wrote the book, um, I talk, you know, part of the book is about should and part of the book is about must. And then when I went out and talked about it with people, we all, myself included, did this thing that was like, shoulds, no good, so bad. Put them in a little box, put them away. Let's focus on must. Let's just follow the must, follow the passion. Let's just go there. And what I've learned is that if we don't deal with those shoulds, they just stick around like these like invisible like weights connected to our body. If we don't actually bring them into awareness, they linger. So paradoxically, the more we're able to bring awareness to our shoulds, the more it catapults us into must. It's like, um, are you familiar with this thing called the Alexander Technique? Mm. I don't know. Maybe I just don't know. I'm sure I must be familiar <laughs> with it, but I don't. Maybe I don't know the name. But well, enlighten me. There's this this cool technique. It's a bodywork technique called the Alexander technique, and a friend of mine works with it. And I didn't know what it was, so I Googled it, and this little quote came up, and it said, "This is like the essence of the Alexander technique," okay. which this should be the essence. Should I just said should? <laughs> um, could or would be cool if it was um, applied to more things. Um, isn't that great? Yes. I love when we can catch ourselves. Nice moves. Um, I was about to put the Alexander Technique on all of humanity. <laughs> um, basically, it says that uh, when we stop doing the wrong thing, the right thing does itself. Go Alexander Technique. Yeah, that's powerful too. So, Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah that, that is... Um, it's, say it one more time. When you stop doing the wrong thing, the right thing will do itself. It's sort of effortless to what I immediately went to. This is a weird connection, but I'm going to say it. Because cool. we're, we're going there. That you don't actually have to breathe in. By literally breathing out, it's, it's, it is, the body is as a vacuum there. You breathe out. You, there's no effort. Like you're not going like to capture air. You, what you breathe out, that's your diaphragm constricting. Mm. And then the relaxation automatically, when you relax, that is when you fill your lungs with air. Yes. It makes me think of like the cycles of the moon and how like you're most guaranteed to get light when you're most in the darkness. <laughs> wow. Right? I hadn't thought about that either. So the more you stop doing should, must has no other option but to happen. Can we write the next book together? Yes. I think this is it. Yes. Well, speaking of the next book, I don't want to go, I don't, I, I, we have to go back to Should and Must, but yeah. it's true that you already have one underway or almost complete. Complete? Uh, yes. It's completed? Another, it's a collaborative book with a friend of mine and it's complete. It's sitting in New York. Ooh. It's, um, we'll be announcing it soon. It's hot. It's glowing somewhere in New York right now. Um, okay. More on that later. But, yes. So when you're, when, well, keep talking because I just want to hear you talk more about should and must because that's the thing that, that I feel like it awakened so many people. Uh, should and must are powerful words. Yeah. We you, used, you caught yourself just a second ago. We, we, we throw those around a lot. Yeah. How, how important were those specific words when you 
chose the title and when you were formulating the idea, could, uh, could you substitute a lot of words or are those the words? I think those are the words. Yeah. It could, so we're dealing with translation now, right? Mm -hmm. The book in other languages, and so I'm getting these really marvelous emails about translating it into other languages. And there are some languages, uh, like Portuguese, they do not have a should and a must in their language. Isn't that phenomenal? Yeah. No wonder those people are so happy. Oh, just samba. <laughs> that's the only word they have. Um, it's like in Bahasa, in Indonesia, they have no past tense or future tense, only present tense. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, um, shoulds, I believe, so long as we're human and here, shoulds exist. I believe they just change, or at least that's how I feel about them right now. Hopefully we're graduating and the shoulds are, are shifting. Um, the shoulds, um, I, it's sometimes in my morning pages I'll say, you know, what are the shoulds that I'm kind of wanting to bring awareness to? You know, what's got its grip on me? And um, I'll make a list and I'll start at the top. So uh, where my work is heading now is looking about what more shoulds are, what shoulds are like more as a woman. Mm. Now whether you're a woman or a man, whether you're Latino, African-American, um, we all have shoulds that keep us confined to these roles that we have inherited through thousands of years of other people living. And um, so I'll give you an example of one that I'm, I'm thinking about right now. So a should right now is you should never age. So advertising, mass media culture as a woman has got a lot to say about keeping me like maybe 20 years old and like a size two forever. And it's this cool thing where I realize that I begin to fall into just this, there's an entire um, media world that's set up for me to, you know, move my way through it through all the years of my life and products and all kinds of things that support that. And the more I can realize that that's happening, I can say, okay, well, how do I feel about it? What do I want to do? Which parts of this game do I actually want to participate in? And that's what it is. There's an intention behind it. So yeah. there's awareness, intention, those words often get thrown around together. Yeah. Um, I would like to use the lens of should and must around, uh, so again, so many people on the other end of these cameras, there I have very conveniently, but for simplicity, put, put folks into sort of two categories. Okay. There's a category of folks who identify as creative um, and I call that group sort of like going from 1 to 10 or 11. We'll use the spinal tap reference, going from 1 to 11. <laughs> and then there's the group that have not yet sort of felt comfortable identifying as that or they're in a job because they should. Um, and that's not to say that you can't have a great job and then exercise all your creativity outside of your, your 9 to 5. But I, I identify that group as the sort of zero to one, the sort of that yet hasn't really sort of identified as wanting to pursue their passions. Yeah, you know, I think about them around just being a very creative spirit. But for both of those groups, <clears throat> I feel like there are a bunch of shoulds. So in the group that the the zero to one group, oh, you should make sure to be able to provide for your family because if you're an artist, the term starving artist is there for a reason, to remind you that most artists don't, don't make enough money to feed their family in X, Y, Z, so you should take care of all these other things, and the, that part of you that really is being ignored right now is being ignored for a good reason. 
And then the should for folks who are trying to go, say, from one to ten, and we'll just use someone who wants to become a professional, a designer or something like that. Yeah. But you can understand all kinds of different permutations there. But I should go to design school, I should go to RISD, or I should start uh, an internship because working your way up through the ranks is how you learn. I should, you know, there's a whole bunch of shoulds in both camps. Can you talk to me about like how folks in those worlds might consider bringing awareness to those shoulds? Yes. Complicated question, I realize, and there's, that took me about a, three and a half minutes to get out. <laughs> But I feel like that would be so valuable, and that what that does is that brings your book, your thinking, your reading, your, your, your work straight into the hearts of two different groups of people who are paying attention to this interview right now. I would say it's less about which group you're in and more about are you happy. Mm, just mic drop right there, bam. <laughs> okay, are you, keep going, keep let it flow. Are you deeply content in your life? Maybe being able to support your family is a lifelong honor. Maybe being able to um, being able to get into RISD is is um, a dream. Um, maybe being able to you know move to a new place or have have a job at all is is a dream. Um, I think the. The tricky spot is when we're unhappy, is when we're really dissatisfied, is when it feels like everything's breaking, nothing's making sense, the rug's been pulled out from underneath you, and then you get a phone call that just rocks your world. Maybe you've lost your job, maybe it's a family member's ill, maybe it's just that you feel like you have no way forward. And in those moments, I would say, yes because discontent is the most amazing catalyst for something new. I don't know anybody who, you know, is like drinking pina coladas and hanging out saying like, I'm going to create great change in my life. I'm going to really go for that thing that terrifies me. Because I think when we're, when we're really happy and when things are going well, we're, we're pretty happy. Yeah, that's the thing that we're focused on, not some sort of change. So if everything feels like it's falling apart, I'd say, amen, frickin' go for it. Like, grab it. See where it's going to take you. But it's like Leonard Cohen said, the, the cracks let the light in, right? Like, or in painting, like, um, sometimes if I get really stuck with a piece and I have no idea what to do next, uh, so I really dislike this, like, dark forest green color. Now, there's a lot of theories that say if you dislike a color, then you should use that should. <laughs> Joseph Albert says, you know, when you dislike a color, you ought to use that color because um, it just means you don't understand it yet. And so um, I took this advice, and when I had a piece, I didn't really know what to do with it. I had no way forward. I took a color I knew I disliked, and I just splattered it all over the piece. And I was like, well, at least I have something to do tomorrow, right? Just, like, clean <laughs> up that. So um, any way that you can find a... Um, look at a situation and say, how do I just flip this on its head? Or how do I, how do I, it's like, you know, when you, when you think you're falling, dive. Um, how do you change the narrative of your life if you're in a moment where everything's falling apart? Maybe this is a moment that had to happen. Am I answering your question? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's like oh. poetry spilling out all over the place. Um, um, can you keep talking? 
Sure. I guess I guess it's just how to like just step into it. If you feel um, if you feel shame, if you feel anger, if you feel trapped, if you feel like step into it and move into it. Um, because on the other side of all of that fear, on the other side of all of that stuckness, if you keep going and you keep going and you keep going and you just stay with it, um, is freedom. I think. When you started. Uh, paying attention to your dream and when your friend clued you into that, at what point of life were you in at that moment? Were you, had you been prepared to make this change? Is it something, were you discontent? Um, I was working a really um, demanding job. I was the design lead at Mailbox and we were building a revolutionary new product that was going to revolutionize email for the iPhone. And um, I was a part of this team that wanted to take an idea from, you know, a post-it note all the way through to something in the app store. And from the outside, you know, like I had a great job, I was able to pay my rent in San Francisco, I was able to um, be a part of an incredible world-class team, I was building brands and doing a lot of things that I had been trained to do and was, I felt really good at. And yet something inside was just really missing. And it's, I think that's a hard moment um, when you sort of feel like you got everything that you asked for and you're there. And you're twiddling your thumbs. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Totally. <laughs> and um, I just, it was around this time that I came across this idea of that there's different modes of work. Um, Stefan Sagmeister calls them, you know, you can have jobs, you can have careers, and you can have callings. And um, it really set up this idea for me that how I thought about money and what I did, I could design that. So some people, um, you know, work a X number of hour a week job and they get paid and then they pursue their callings on nights and weekends. Other people, you know, like I think of, you know, some of the great artists throughout time found a way to, you know, have incredible careers making art and pay all their bills. And then there's other people who say, hey, Art, I am never, ever, ever going to ask you to pay the rent. And that's pretty cool, too. Yeah. And as I began thinking about that, I was like, oh, you mean I get to, I get to design this? I get to like, figure out how I feel about it? I don't just have to you know, get my ticket and stand in line? Wow. You mentioned Sagmeister. Yes. Stefan is in this series of videos. He's been on the show, incredible guy, um, super, super talented. One of the things that we talked about uh, was a way of thinking of creativity such that it can motivate creativity on the spot. Now there are all kinds of philosophies or thoughts about art and you mentioned, I'll just reference the camps that you just talked about. So. As part of my career, uh, a long part of it is basically creativity on demand. Like, I wake up in the morning if I'm not feeling all that motivated or creative, but I've got to go shoot this particular campaign, and there's you know 80 people outside my door depending on it. You don't really go like, ah, not feeling it today, and roll <laughs> over and hit snooze. Yeah. You got to get up and you got to do it on command. Yeah. And that's part of being a professional. Um, and yet there's a, you know, you, you referenced the other, the other camps, but there are a handful of useful tools in those moments that I would go to. And I'm wondering if you have sort of go-to 
secrets or lenses that you put on your world or your work that sort of help inspire you in moments where you're not inspired? Or do you only create when the inspiration strikes, then you go wild and wake up and grab your, your uh, canvas and start painting? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> it would be. It sounds very luxurious, but also very distant from reality for me personally. I was blessed with the just need to create for some sustained period of time. And then after that, the reality of, I don't want to do this, and there's 50 people outside the door mm -hmm. arrived. Um, and that happens now a lot more frequently. And so what I've learned is that there's a difference between like kind of the, the mountain in the distance of like where I'm trying to go, where I want to go. Um, that I can identify very clearly. Then the day-to-day -day that gets me there is sometimes, you know, glorious and sometimes super bumpy. And, but every day you have to do it because you believe in where you're going. So for me, the trick has been accountability. If someone, and that's, that's tied to a person. Yes. If someone who I love is counting on me to deliver something, I won't let them down. So I need to have accountability. So a couple years ago, uh, we started basically an accountability project online. It's called the 100 Day Project. I love it. And the 100 Day Project is pretty simple. It's a, it was a class started by Michael Beirut uh -huh. at Yale. Hello, Michael. Yeah. And I wanted to go to Yale's master's program so I could take this class with Michael. And I ended up not going to Yale. And years later, I was in the middle of uh, Mexico with friends. And it just dawned on me, I was walking down this like, little street in San Miguel de Allende. I don't have to go to Yale to do the class. <laughs> I love it. I'm on this tiny little dusty street, and I was like, Eureka, we could just do the project. I looked at my friends, I was like, we could do the project. They're like, what are you talking about, Al? <laughs> I was like, we just have to do something for 100 days, and we could do it together, because there's 12 of us here. So oh, it was wonderful, it was great. It was, it was um, a great moment of like a team of people coming together and saying like, okay, yeah, like we're all in, let's do this. So we got on Instagram and we said, you know, for the next 100 days, we're going to be repeating a design action or, you know, some like writing for every day or painting a painting or drawing your left hand. And um, we're going to do it every day and we're going to share every instance of 100. So we did that the first year. I did 100 self-portraits because a friend of mine said, like, that's what makes a real artist is that they can draw a self-portrait. Wow. So I was like, ooh, I bit that bullet. And then last year I did 100 days of drawing my dreams. And then this year I'm doing 100 Days of Future Memories. So just the other night, oh gosh, it's like 11.30 and I'm, you know, hop into bed, pull up the covers, lights are out, I'm ready to go to sleep. And I'm so tired and I was like, oh, I forgot my post. I didn't do it yet. And I thought of all these people, I mean, I don't know, yeah. who are counting on me to do a post. You know, just one post every day for 100 days. And so I got out of bed, and I went and I did it. Now, if those people hadn't been there, I would have been so asleep. Like, if 150,000 people on Instagram weren't there, you'd have been like... <laughs> so accountability. And putting things on a schedule. I have like a physical planner. I have to just, I have like a, I'm old school. And everything goes on the planner. And, every, and there's check boxes, and everything has to be checked. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of structure. Um, and sometimes I find, I use a, a kitchen timer from Ikea, yeah. like, a, like a tiny little Ikea kitchen timer with a, a loud buzzer. And I set it um, in 17 minute increments. I don't know why I said 
Um, and when I do something, I'm not allowed to like leave the canvas or move from the chair or get up from the table for 17 minutes. Seven, can you say how you thought of 17? I, I don't it came know. To you? I don't know. I just, okay. that's what I'm working with. 17. It's, it's, if it was 20, I think I'd kind of know what 20 minutes feels like. And if it was five, I'd, but 17 is sort of an odd number. Mm -hmm, definitely. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's a prime number. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, now I'm cultivating, because I find that I can get distracted really easily. Um, another thing I'm really working on in addition to accountability is getting to know my boredom. When I'm in the middle of something, sometimes I can, you know, my mind begins to trail off or I'm thinking of something else or I want to, I just have to suddenly stand up and go find that book and read that chapter, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, nope, stay, stay. And maybe meditation helps with this as well. But just, you know, want to go make lunch? Stay. Want to go for a walk? Stay. Just stay. And cultivating that. Um, or when I'm getting bored and I want to switch tasks, realizing that like that's a doorway right there. If I can work through boredom, I like it's gold. But you know, boredom when you can sit with things, you actually get. I was joking before we met about how the more I got close to my boredom, it was like I learned how to cook because I was so bored. <laughs> I learned like I did all my taxes on time. I planted a garden. All these things, incredible creative output comes from this moment where you are ready to just bolt. <laughs> like, I'm going to do something instead of nothing. Right, right. So, mm, seven, let's talk a little bit more about structure, because I believe, and I, as a, early in my career of mm. making, I, I looked at schedules and constraints and as the man trying to keep me down, like, no, I... I had the courage, the balls to step away from all the shit that everybody else wanted me to do, and now I'm free. I'm gonna like whatever I want to do, and no schedule, and <clears throat> and I actually kept that up for a painfully long time, <laughs> and I thought the pain was the work. Of, uh, I thought it was painful because I was doing the hard, good work, and then what I did is I said, well that was the same thing I did yesterday, which was the same thing I did the day before, which is like, maybe like creating some systems around this stuff would be really helpful. Mm. And I started with the mentality of creating some systems and whether that was a daily habit or storing things in the same way on my computer or whatever banal task. I just basically started using frameworks and systems and it was like all of this sort of tension just went wow. And within these constraints and within these systems and schedules that you're talking about, like your timer, and um, I suddenly found all kinds of freedom. Hmm. And I'm wondering if you can talk about your experience with that structure that you just talked about, driving, driving um, creativity, driving productivity. Yes. Can you about that? Well, one of the things that uh, really was tricky was um, when I was at Mailbox just how, how busy everything was. Busy, busy, busy. And I think maybe that would be a word that would categorize all of my years working like in a, in a, in a um, structured work environment. And um, I just, you know, it was like there were so many meetings and there were so many meetings about meetings and it was, it was, um, there are so many goals and, you know, these kinds of graphs. And, um, and I just felt like I needed to just step away from all of that. 
so that I could um, try to have a restful mind. And it felt like if I could find that resting spot in my mind, I could re-approach all of that, the, the, the busyness with um, a new perspective. And so now, now things are, are um, they're, they're doing this and they're happening in life. Um, but it feels different, and this is why. My friend Susie has this saying, she says, uh, when we have more fun, we get more done. And I just loved that when she said it. And it was like, how can I make sure that throughout the day I'm like eating well, I'm you know, checking off all the boxes, that I'm you know, getting all my accountabilities finished, that I'm able to move my body, that I'm able to meditate or have some sort of private, more solitude practice. I'm able to go to sleep early and have great dreams. And there's this, this book um, called The Kin of a Taw. It's an amazing, The Kin of a Taw are waiting for you is the name of the book. It's this like, super trippy, great book about how their entire society is organized about their dreams. So I'm really into dreams right now. Can you break those down into words for me? The Kin of a Taw. The Kin, kin of a Taw. As in like the, the, those of us who are, yeah, kin. are kin of a Taw, A-T-T-A-H. A-T-A. A-T-A. The Kin of a Taw are waiting for you. Oof. is the name of this book and it's a utopian novel it's beautiful and in it the you know someone from our time goes to Ata and meets the kin and there's a scene where he says how much do I work and one of the Atans says to him work so much work work enough that you have good dreams but not so much that you don't dream at all and there's that really rocked me because you want to work enough where your mind is healthy, where your body is moving, um, where you're, you know, you're, you're participating, you're invigorated, yeah, but not enough where you're collapsing. And I think that was the thing about you know, not dreaming for 10 days. When I didn't dream for 10 days, I was like, I'm, I'm overworking. I'm, I'm, you know, I, can't, I don't even have space to dream. I'm so busy. So I thought that was really cool. And, I, and maybe it, it varies for each one of us. And as we get more settled into like a, a workflow and a schedule, um, I think like keep checking in like from here down. Like, yeah. how's it feeling? How's this feeling? Like, do I need to switch it up? Maybe I need to go swim on my lunch break. Or maybe I need to make sure I get like yoga in at least once a month or once a week or whatever it might be. I think know thyself is such a powerful statement. And it has been a recurring theme in... Um, in this show and in my life, especially in the last year or two, I feel like I'm reasonably self-aware and just this concept of knowing thyself just continues to smash me in the face like every other day for really some unapparent but clearly apparent reason. Uh, and when you said know how much you work and 40 hours is totally arbitrary. Some people get a lot of energy from working more. Some people fatigue after less than that and just being able to listen to your body. So let's talk about that a little bit. Intuition is something that you know I have, when people have asked me about both my successes and failures, it's pretty unanimous for me that my answers are, I can always reflect them against the backdrop of was it was I listening to my intuition? Hmm. For my failures, I was not listening to my intuition. For my successes, I was. Can you talk to me about your intuition and about how intuition of the intuition of the people that you 
admire and respect and when you've been sort of in authenticity and out of it? Well, at the end of traveling around for the book, I felt really out of touch with my intuition. I felt um, I was exhausted. I felt really tired. So I guess b before I answer, how do you get back in touch with your intuition if you feel like you've, if it feels far away? Mm. What do you do? Um, it's, this sounds dangerously cliche, but it is the thing that I actually know works for me, and that is I go to this very simple list that if I do, the, it's a list that I've learned to make for myself such that there isn't a moment where if I'm doing the things on this list for a series of just a matter of days in a row that I can't actually not fall back into authenticity. And it's this very simple list of like, get, you know, spend eight hours in bed. I don't require that I get eight hours of sleep, but I spend eight hours in bed, exercise every day, mm -hmm. meditate for 20 minutes in the morning and the evening, um, you know, eat a certain, it's very, it's very body centric. Mm. Like if you do these things, there is some mental practice in there. I have not found a time where that hasn't rescued me. And in my darkest moments mm. as a human on this planet, I have come to realize that, oh shit, like I'm not, I'm not doing this, this set of things that I know is my prescription for good. Even in, in, a, in a very depressed state, I have really never been depressed or struggled deeply, deeply when I have, since I have made, figured out this list for myself. Mm. So it's a very simple, it's a, pro, it's a very uh, programmatic sort of approach that if I do these things, I am my authentic self, I am me. And that's not to say I don't have good and bad days in there, but good and bad days, they are part of their, the contrast of what it means to be human. So that's what I do, I go to this sort of a, Prescription and the prescription, it, it's a reasonably new. It's just a couple years new, maybe I'd say three years new to mm -hmm. me, and it took me a long time to develop it. I knew certain parts of it as a young person, different parts as uh, an adult, and I've only recently been able to put them together. And it's been knock on wood, pretty, pretty bombproof. Now back to you. What do you do? That's probably what I do. Um, I think. When I feel far away from my intuition, I have to. I have to. I have to just be alone for. If I can, if I could have three days, that would be ideal. Um, but somewhere between one and three days, of of um, of solitude, and it invites. You know, whenever you create those empty spaces, it invites everything in. Mm -hmm. And. It allows anything that I haven't taken responsibility for to uh, to have a conversation with. It invites it in, sort of like saying, "All right, everyone, let's get our shit on the table. You can come out now. <laughs> this is a safe place. Like, let's let's have this conversation because I want to. Um, I have a lot of important things I want to do. So." That space and it's it's harrowing, right? There are moments when um, there are moments this summer, being in the woods, just you know you're having conversations with yourself, right? Like maybe one part of myself that I'm less in touch with, I'm having, you know, the the more um, knowledgeable part of me is talking to that person. Then there's a another observer that's coming in, and there's all these different voices and, and people, even within me. And I've learned from it was a writer's technique, which was about how important it was to name mm -hmm. the different like 
personalities and personas within you. Mm-hmm. So I have a there's I have a phobic side that just can just get you know everything is just about to teeter on the edge. You know everything mm-hmm. wrong is about to happen. Actually, it already happened. Um, and that voice is uh, is always there, and it's just really afraid. And so I have to you know figure out how to calm that one down and make sure that that's um, make sure that decisions aren't coming from that place. Because if if that part if, if the phobic part of me is making decisions, then that's definitely going to take me away from my intuition. My, what I know about my intuition is that it's, um, it's really joyful and that it just knows what it wants. Um, I know that it's, it is, it is um, full of love. That, that part of me is, um, is just deeply happy and is a um, big believer in sharing and a big believer in um, community and dialogue and openness and utopian books. And, and it's like that's, that's the part of me that, that's like the sacred part that I want to make sure everything else is in check so that can be buoyed. But it's not always that way, right? It's not. <laughs> yes. um, you mentioned books many times. Mm. So maybe let's call this a speed round like let's let's talk about a couple things that you love or a couple things that you could recommend or help some folks that are like sometimes I find that when we have you know heady conversations about very sort of dynamic and very personal things that some you know people who are listening or watching might be able to get in touch with you with those and on the on the flip side of that same coin what are some books that you love? What are some movies or what are some things that you like to do that if you could prescribe them to someone who is um, listening, what, what were some of those things would be? Do you have some favorites? Yes. Cool. Yeah. Oh, this is fun. Um, Siddhartha by one? Herman Hesse would sure. be probably number one. Um, that's a do I need to say anything yeah, about no. why? No. Just do it. Yeah, just, that's a great one. Um, but that's not a should. Mm-mm. That's a... That's, That's an offering. Yeah. Um, Ursula Le Guin, she is amazing. I would say The Wizard of Earthsea is, an, is a fairly easy read. Um, I almost think that should be a foundational book for all people. Wow, that's a pretty ringing endorsement. Foundational book for humans. I think, if, I think that would be a great like ninth grade mandatory reading in, in like public schools. Um, Children's books are phenomenal. Uh, the Little Prince is a favorite. Um, another favorite is Frederick, the Field Mouse. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. I would say there's a great uh, book called The Power of Myth. It's conversations between Bill Moyers and Joseph Campbell. So yeah. He uh, Joseph Campbell really really got it. Um, I, I would say there's a whole other category of books around um, if you're feeling stuck or if you're feeling uh, this sort of uh, grumblings in your life, I would say dive into the Enneagram. Do you know what the Enneagram is? Of course. Do you know your number? I, it, I don't know it by heart, but I have myself and my, my executive team here, I've done it and we all sort of go back and do it every once in a while. But I'm not into it enough to memorize my numbers. It's so cool. It is super cool. <laughs> so there's, there's nine numbers and the, um, they represent the nine different personality typologies. And it's the basis, I didn't know this, it's the basis for Myers-Briggs. 
Yeah, I didn't. I just had experienced it as different from Myers Briggs and seemingly more powerful and effective mm -hmm. because you know Myers Briggs. I'm an ENFJ, or I, I'm not that, but that's a thing that some people might be. And I, I, I can read my enneagram and go, wow, like nailed it, like nailed it, scary. So it's basically a personality test that it's sometimes fun to do and sometimes not so fun. <laughs> my wife Kate is really good at that. My wife Kate also, she once a year does uh, somewhere between a you know, five and a seven day non, no talking oh. retreat, like a zen retreat. And she talks very clearly and fluidly about all of the things that come up for you when you, when you are not, like when you don't talk to anyone for nine days. Anyway, Enneagram, wow. I like it. So Enneagram, Enneagram. you think, Awareness, like self-awareness, yes. know thyself. The wisdom of the Enneagram is a great one. Um, the Enneagram in love and work. So you can basically look at your Enneagram number and then look at another person's Enneagram number, whether it's a romantic relationship or a co-working relationship, and you can figure out how those numbers are going to interact, which is very cool. Um, oh, my gosh. Um, Any other stuck? I like when you said if you're stuck. Uh, the War of Art. Pressfield. The War of Art is yeah. terrific. Uh -huh. I was making sure I didn't flip those. The Art of War, because there's a, a different book. Yes, yeah, Jessica Hagee. Yeah. Oh, and Jessica Hagee, too. Yeah, yeah. And Jessica and Michael and all those guys are yes. New York design Illuminati. Got it. Um, um, let's see. Other, If you're feeling stuck, um, Steal Like an Artist, Austin Kleon. Love Austin. He's, He's in the series as well. Um, He'll, he'll get you unstuck really fast. He's <laughs> so good. I would just say if you're feeling stuck, like just take 10 minutes every day to do something that sounds fun. Something that like the, the little kid in you wants to do. That is, a, that is one of the things that's on my list, my daily survival list, is play or make. And play can be like literally goof off and do something wacky or, or sit down with the intention of actually making a thing and whether that thing is a picture or a drawing or whatever, those two things. It's not an accident that I put those things together. Yes. You said the word joy so many times. I loved it. Hmm. Those things both bring me joy. Hmm. Being a knucklehead and goofing off and, and making stuff. It's really fun to make stuff if you, if you tell yourself before you start that no one is going to see this. Mm -hmm. That you're going to throw this away. Or, you know, it's just going to go in that drawer. So you might as well just have fun. Okay, so... A whole bunch of books there, a whole bunch of ways for help getting unstuck. Are there any other recommendations that you'd like to make? Um, any other recommendations? About anything. Literally, anything. About anything? Yes. <laughs> That's the kind of show this can be. Wow. This isn't on TV because I wanted to be able to have it be uh, whatever we wanted it to be, not what some other, what's the DJ Khaled says, they don't want us to win. <laughs> wow. I, um... If you could recommend something, a food, say, a book. Like, oh, food! Wow, my head's exploding. <laughs> Sorry. I would just say. I'm just whatever you I want. Think, I feel this is me. Sure. For years, I was craving nature. I was just craving it. I just felt I was just I was just here, like on this glass screen, and I just was there was just something about nature that was really calling to me. And I, I would say that, share that with friends, and they would say, "Me too, me too." Um, so I would put anything on that list, like just like go for a road trip or like go camping in your backyard or like open up all the windows of your house, even if it's freezing, turn off the heat, open up all the windows and just like know what it's like to be like chilly in your house and wake up in the cold and like smell the morning. I like having bare feet on earth. Oh. That's a good feeling. Wow. Yeah. Go swimming naked. Just go feel the sun. 
just, I don't know, there's just That's something. <laughs> I love it. I would like to, before I ask you um, if there is any, if you have any last words, um, I would like to have there are two sort of other speed round things that I haven't got to. Okay. One is, what is something that people most likely don't know about you that if they knew they would be surprised? Mm. Well, probably my first big should must crossroads. The first big one. Hmm. I got to the crossroads and on one side it said, you must be an artist. And on the other side it said, but you should go to law school. And I sat there looking at that and I thought, I really should go to law school. And so I applied to nine law schools. Like really trying to get in with that intention. Mm -hmm. um, and if I had gotten into one of them, I would have gone because I come from a long line of a really talented uh, lineage of, of attorneys. And um, so I applied to all of them. And I think in my like admissions essays, I must have just said in like glaring, all caps, bold, italic, like, please don't accept me, please, please, <laughs> please. My life will be so much better. Um, and I got rejected from all nine, which at the time felt like um, just my, you know, oh my gosh, I've, I've you know, failed the family. And um, looking back, I see it as a huge gift from the universe. Huge, I would have gone, I, would, I wouldn't be here. That's for sure. So um, that is probably something that people don't know about me is that I genuinely tried to be a lawyer. Wow. Yeah, I don't That's even like awesome. small print. <laughs> <laughs> or the backs of documents. Um, no. Can I confess something? Yes. I did the same thing with medical school. No. Except I went so far as doing the interviews and then freaked out. Like oh. I'm, this is so real. Cause I was basically pretending to do everything that everybody else wanted me to do. I was like, oh, if you're hardworking and reasonably smart and you, you should be a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, because that's what I do. I don't want, you know, that's the, the societal pressure, pressure that I was yeah. talking about earlier. And I got like to the point where I was like, okay, great. I'm gonna sign up for the next like X years of my life. Interestingly, I was on a podcast a couple of days ago that some physicians had reached out. This guy is, uh, I forget the, gosh, what's the name of the podcast? Do you remember? I forget. Oh, the something physician. Anyway, like I was therapy guy like, because I decided not to do it and there's so many physicians who go into it for the wrong reasons. I got this close and was freaked out, ran the other way to pursue my calling of becoming a photographer. And wow, we, those are like, Secrets for both of us, sort of, yeah. Okay, so I think we've just come up with a, another... Um, a book, a collaboration? Another uh, insight for how people can get unstuck, how they can follow their intuition. Okay. Are you familiar with the scientist David Eagleman? No. He studies the brain, and he, he's just really a smart dude, and he has this um, trick that he talks about where he says to, if you have a coin, so law school on one side, okay. artist on the other, photographer on one side, medical school on the other, and you flip it. And when you get it, so you choose one, right? And then you look at the result. And however you feel about that result that's come up Ooh. actually shows like your true, more like intuitive If you're like, tug. oh, damn. Damn, or, yeah. I didn't get the artist side. <laughs> and that's what it's happened so to you simple. in your interviews. Yes, it was. Right? And I, I, yeah, I freaked out for sure. 
Well, mm-hmm. that's narrowly averted. So people, that's that's a great thing. People don't know about you. I liked your answer for that. Um, your E L L E L U N A on everything, right? Mm-hmm. What do you spend your most time on? If people want to follow you, Instagram. Instagram. Um, that's also your website. Yes. Dot com. You're painting. You're writing books. Yes. What's the next big thing for you? Is that the book? Yes. Book number two. And book number three. Are you an author now? Is that is that your profession from here oh, forward? Oh, I don't know. I think I just write things. I write, I paint, I make a mess. Are we all hyphens? Are we all many things now? I hope so. It's more fun. I don't know what else to add to that other than <laughs> super grateful. Thank you so much mm. for being here. Is there anything else? I think we covered a ton of ground. I've just been... Uh, I could talk to you for a long time and we'll probably keep talking after they turn the cameras over. Anything you want to tell the folks at home? Mm. Can I close with a Joseph Campbell quote? I would, I mean, there's no better way. (laughs) Who says no no to that? I'm gonna get out of the way, make sure all cameras Uh, on you. So Joseph Campbell says to Bill Moyers in this, this interview, Power of Myth series, he says, follow your bliss and don't be afraid and doors will open where you didn't even know they were going to be. And with that, I will leave you. There is another one of these interviews coming tomorrow if you're signed up at 30 Days of Genius. I'm Chase, and this is the amazing hmm. Elvina. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this. Also, uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.